We think about a local church. We think about relationships. That's really what a local church is. A local church is all about relationships. And any given local church, regardless of the size, 30, 40, 300, 400, there's always a mixture of people, mixture of ages that take place. And the question is then, in this human relationship, we call a fellowship of Christ a local church. How do the old and young coexist? Is that possible? Is it possible for old and young to coexist? Be a part of each other and be one together. The psalmist will say in chapter 37, in verse 25, I have been young and I have been old. And then in Titus chapter 2, Paul will speak to Titus about the different ages of people. He will talk about young men and talk about older men. He'll talk about younger women and older women and talk about the relationship and responsibilities that each share together. So the Holy Spirit through Paul recognized that there would be those dynamics that take place in a local church. Paul left Titus in Crete to set things in order. And so you had older and younger people in that church that Paul addresses Titus to address himself. When we think about that, and we think about those dynamics, is it possible, and if it is possible, then how? How is it possible that older and younger people live together? I think a general passage is it have to do with relationships. I think about Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 when you think about the golden rule. Whatsoever you would that others do unto you, do also unto them. Would that not be a good way in which older people and younger people could get along together? I think of a passage like Matthew chapter 5 and 39 down through 48. We talked about the kind of love we are to have toward our enemies. And if that is true toward our enemies, then would it not be true also toward our fellows, those with whom we have a good relationship as well? That we speak well of them, we do good for them, and we pray for them as well? that we go beyond the measure of the normal routine of people and that our hospitality is extended to them beyond what is normally extended just to people in the world? Would that not also be the case with older and younger people in the congregation? I think of a passage like Philippians chapter 2 in the first five verses where Paul talks about fulfilling his joy. And in fulfilling his joy, he talks about to be like-minded and to be considerate of one another, to, to be more concerned with the concerns of others than you are yourselves. And in doing so, to have the selflessness of Christ that was part of his mind. Would that not be a way that older people and younger people could get together to have that kind of mind together? You see, when the Lord talks about, and the Holy Spirit talks about these kinds of words, these kind of concepts, these kind of principles, he's not being age-specific. There's, there's no discrimination regarding age in the kingdom of God. The old and the young are, are viewed the same. It's not viewed as you're 15 or you're, you're 1,500. You're, both are viewed the same. Both are viewed as disciples of Christ and have obligations to Him and obligations to one another. You think about the idea of grace. The idea of grace grows out of a need. There was a need that man had. Man's lost in sin. Man needs salvation. Man needs redemption. Man can't provide that for himself. He's blown it. 
already. He can't stand before God and say, please give me what you owe me. And it is quite the arrogant one that would stand before God and say, please give me what you owe me. Well, I don't think we want that. And so grace provides need. Well, would it not also be that if God's grace met a need for us, that our grace could also meet needs for others as well? That if we've been recipients of grace, we would be those who would manifest grace and, and give grace as well to help meet the needs of others, regardless of whether young or whether old? Could not the old meet the needs of the young? Could not the young meet the needs of, of those who are uh, uh, older or younger as well? Could there not be that reciprocity that takes place regarding those, those dynamics between older and younger people? Could we not meet the needs of each other? Could we not have the mind? Could we not have the disposition, the heart, to meet the needs of each other? I mean, grace began in the heart of God. It didn't begin on the cross. It's manifest in the cross. It began in the heart of God. God, in His heart, determined He was going to meet the need of man. And He did so. Lost man, by the way. Man who was his enemy, not man who was his friend at that time. And so if, if grace meets needs, then, then we can meet the needs like God meets our needs. For example, you have in Romans chapter 15 and verse 7, just a passing, passing thing. We'll reference this verse in just a little while, but just a passing thought. He talks about how we accept one another even as Christ has accepted us. And that grows out of chapter 14, which deals with the relationship of people who have a difference over things that are right in of themselves, but people have a weakness of understanding regarding some of those things. And he says, you receive them. Can you not accept one another as I have accepted you? And so would that not be a need that, that could be met, a need that, that God supplied that we could also meet as well? So needs needs that God meets and needs that, that we can supply one another. God never promised. Never promised us... Uh, Five BMWs. He never promised us uh, a lake house. He never promised us all the things that are a part of this world. He never promised those things. Those were not the needs that God sought to meet. He said, I'll give you what you need to wear. I'll give you what you need to eat. And I'll get you, give you what you need to drink. I'll give you the basics of life. I'll provide those needs for you. But he didn't say, I'll provide all the riches that this world can possibly accrue to you because of wealth. And so when we think about that, there are five basic needs that all have. It didn't matter what the race, what the gender is, what the socioeconomic level is, what the education level is. It doesn't matter who we are. There are five basic needs that all people must have met. And God meets all five of them, which should not be surprising to us. And so when we think about those, let's walk through those five needs together and look at how God has met those and how we can meet them with each other. We think about relational needs, all can give something to another. For example, you think about the idea of acceptance. I go back to Romans chapter 15 again and how we are accepted in Christ and we accept one another as He has accepted us. Think about this idea of, of acceptance. Uh, you, you think about the idea of acceptance. You, you think about someone like, uh, like the, the Samaritan woman and how Christ met her at the well and provided the needs she had. You think about the woman that was taken in adultery in John chapter 8 and how everybody wanted to stone her, but how Jesus met the need of that woman and all who wanted to stone her disappeared 
And he provided grace to her, provided what she needed. I think of the idea of acceptance. I think of the idea of, of Mary, of Bethany, the one that is before the feet of Jesus, drying his feet with the hair of her head, washing his feet with her tears. And how Simon wanted to just push her out of the house and said, if you really knew the kind of woman that she was, you would not be letting her touch you, much less breathe your air. And he said, I want to ask you a question. Who appreciates forgiveness the most? And Simon said it right, the one who needs it the most. And Simon needed it as much as that woman did and missed it. But what did Christ do? Christ accepted that woman. Think about the misfits throughout the Gospels that Christ accepts. The leaders among the Pharisees that, that rejected Christ, those aren't the people that he rubbed, rubs, rubs noses with. It's the misfits of the world that he pulls into his orb, that he pulls into his relationship. But I think about that as a practical way for us. Forgiveness is where that begins. A lack of forgiveness, a lack of forgiveness is the beginning of a lack of acceptance. And when I think about that, I, I think about relationships with people. For example, you think about someone coming into a new environment. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a, a new town, new city. Maybe it's a new church. Is there a way that someone new coming into a new congregation like this could find acceptance among us? People who are new that come into, into our fellowship, do they stand out like a sore thumb because we know everybody, they don't know anybody, and so they feel like they don't know anybody. Can, can we go up to them and, and help them find a place? When you think about someone that's different, maybe they're a different race. Maybe they are a different socioeconomic level. Maybe they speak different. Maybe, maybe their dialect is a little bit different. Is there not a way that, that we, like Christ, could find a way to accept them? I think of the aged among us. Is there not a way that, that we could provide an acceptance of the aged? That just because they're aged, it's not time to, to forget them? Maybe they don't have the ability. Maybe they don't have the opportunity that they once had before. Maybe they can't do what they once did before, but, but they're here and they're, they're encouraging to us. They speak to us by their presence, by their example. Is there not a way that we could accept those who are older among us? I must tell you, pause a, personal note, pardon me. I never imagined it all my life, I never imagined all my life that my mom and dad would ever be a part of a congregation where I ever preached. It was never intended, never the plan for mom and dad to ever leave Benchley, Texas. The plan was always when mom and dad left Benchley, Texas, they would move to Bazette, Texas, in the Prairie Point Cemetery. It didn't work out that way. And now then, they're part of us. I'm reminded of that. I'm reminded of that. I speak often about older people here. We have a legacy weekend because of that. But I must tell you, when I speak about helping older people find a place, it's become much more personal because of seeing them here and seeing them trying, trying to find a place. Dad said, when he spoke to the elders, I'll never get to meet and know the names of all these people in this church. Well, you know what? It's not his job to find you. 
If you're younger, it's your job to find them. I want to ask you something. Is this something that old people can do with young people? Can, 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 can we not reach out to young people and accept them where they are with who they are? Can we not do that? Is it something that, that older people can do with younger people? Can older people go up to younger people and, and say something about, and accept, help them find a place and accept them as well? Is that something that they can do? Is that something in a congregation of older and younger people we can do with each other? That's what Christ has done. The first need that's fundamental that everybody has is the idea of acceptance. The second need that everybody has is the idea of affection. The idea of affection. Be kindly affectioned one toward another, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 says. Be kindly affectioned one toward another in brotherly love. That's the kind of affection that's there. Be kindly affectioned one toward another. The idea of affection looks at, I care. I care. I, I care and I'm invested in you. My, my heart reaches out to you. That's the idea of affection. And so it's manifested in a number of ways. It's manifested by a touch. Uh, the Bible even talks about a holy kiss. Not all might be comfortable with that. But God himself manifested it when he said, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You know what heaven did? Heaven reached down in affection and touched me and you. When the son came, heaven reached down in affection and touched everyone that was, in Jansen's lesson, a leper, everyone that was lost. Heaven reached down and touched everyone that has a list. And you know what? Heaven's still doing that. Because in the Revelation it says, the time is going to come when you won't have a tear. And you won't have death. All that will be taken away. And every tear that you cry, I count. I carry. Now we talk about this thing of affection. I realize that not everybody is, is on the same level there. Some don't demonstrate affection as openly as others do. And so maybe when we talk about this idea of affection and we talk about how we can be affectionate toward one another, we need to respect how the one we're trying to be affectionate to responds. I know this is a revelation to you. But I'm a hugger. But I'm also careful about that. If in going to hug someone, man or woman, I'm indiscriminate, I'm an equal opportunity hugger. If I see that, that there is some resistance out there, I recognize that that's not the way that person exchanges affection. They're not comfortable with that. And sometimes people will peck me on the cheek, and sometimes I'll peck people on the cheek. And I say, oh, sometimes not, people are not comfortable with that. Maybe it is just a handshake. Maybe it is just a knuckle bump. Maybe it's just, I, I'm glad to see you. But in some way, somehow, there is affection that is exchanged, and everybody needs to be touched by affection in some way. Maybe it's just simply saying, I care about you. Maybe it's just simply, I notice you. Maybe it's just simply that I accept you. And in that, there is affection that is, that is exchanged there. Then thirdly, we think about the idea of, of appreciation. Think about the idea of appreciation. I think about the idea of appreciation I think about the woman who had two mites. And she came and offered to the Lord. And he said, she gave out of her want more than all who gave out of their abundance. It wasn't the people who gave out of their abundance that he appreciated, that he complimented in that way. It was the woman who gave two mites. I'm reminded of the church at Mac churches of Macedonia. Well, the church at Corinth is sitting stuck on high center. 
and they committed a year ago to make a contribution to the poor saints in Jerusalem, and they have not done it. And Paul said, these folks in Macedonia who are support, they can't pay attention, and that's not an understatement. They begged to be a part of this because they first gave themselves. You said you would, you haven't. And then he says in chapter, verse 12 of chapter 8, is according to how one has a willing mind. It's not according to the dollar amount you give, it's according to the willing mind that you have. You know, David, David wanted to build a temple. And God said, you can't do it. You're a man of war, you have blood on your hands. Your son Solomon could do it. But the Lord said of David, it was good that you thought of it. In other words, when God looked at the heart of David, and he looked at the heart of Solomon, he saw them on par one with the other. Solomon wasn't greater than David because he got to. David got the heart, but was, had the heart, but he was restricted from doing it. I think the idea of appreciation, I think, I think of, a, of the church at Corinth. You know, church at Corinth, they, they get a hit between the nose almost every time you talk about them, don't they? I mean, those people had so much upside down that uh, begins with a problem, it ends with a problem. And, and you look at the church at Corinth and you say, what a mess God had in Corinth. He told Paul, I got many people here. And you want to ask and say, if that's the kind of people you got, then what I, want, I want to be part of Ephesus. They got it together. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul says this. My paraphrase. I'm so thankful for y'all because I'm so thankful you remembered what I taught you. And in the second letter, he says to the Corinthians, I keep telling Titus how good you folks are. I keep telling Titus how sincere you folks are. I keep telling Titus the kind of heart you have. And then he would say, don't disappoint me. <laughs> don't, don't, don't disappoint me. Don't let me down here. Because it's some, some had come in who were pulling them away. He tried to pull them back with an acceptance and appreciation and affection toward them. Now think about the idea of appreciation toward each other. I think about someone who manifests the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's kind of a nondescript thing. It kind of goes under the radar. Nobody pays much attention to it. Long-suffering, joy, peace, faithfulness, genuineness, goodness, self-control. I think the idea of that ant who has no master, but the ant is punctual. And the ant never procrastinates. The ant always takes care of their responsibility. And no, one has a, no one's not a master over the ant. The ant just does it because the ant does it. And I wonder sometimes, when I think about this idea of appreciation, and I'm not being cute when I say this. I mean this sincerely. I'm, I'm not being cute. I wonder sometimes if we get so stuck on the sin patrol, We fail to appreciate the right and good that people do. You know, I would hazard to guess. I would hazard to guess this. I might be wrong. I hazard to guess this. That if you sin or I sin, I pretty much know what I've done. Don't you? I've said it before. I don't need you going out and telling me how much my sermon stunk. I know it before you do. I already got it. 
What if we had people who are more tuned toward finding what was right in people than what was wrong in people? And instead of having a badge of a sin patrol on us, we had a badge of honor of helping people appreciate what they do is right. Because I would hazard to guess this without fear of much contradiction. There's more right that you people do in this fellowship of God's people than there is wrong that you do. And when you do the wrong, you know the wrong that you did. How about we try that for a while? How about the appreciation of someone who simply does what is right? And we see them striving to what... Is that something the older can praise the younger for? Is that something the younger can praise the older for? Is that something our younger people can go to older people and say, you know, I, I, just, I just notice you every time you come, thank you for being here. And here's an older person that sees a younger person. And, and you see how they're growing, both boy and girl. You see how they're growing. And, and, and you just appreciate. Here's a new convert. Someone new to Christ. And you know they're new to Christ. And you, you see them striving. You see them trying to develop. You see them trying to grow. Is it possible that someone young could notice that or someone old could notice that and go up and say, I appreciate you for what you're trying to be and who you're trying to be and what you're trying, how you're trying to grow. Can I appreciate you for that? There's any number of ways that we can go about that. But it's a need that people have. People have the need for appreciation. But right on top of that, people have the need for approval as well. When did God again reach out for us? While we were yet sinners. It's not that he approved of us then. He reached out for us so that we could be approved by him. I, I think when I think of approval, I think of Peter. And yes, Peter made a lot of bumbling mistakes. But in the end, Peter was that rock. Peter, The Lord knew who Peter would be. I think of John the Baptist. When, God, when, when the Lord speaks of his, of his relative, John the Baptist, he says, born of women, there's no one greater than John. Whoa, that's pretty high praise. That's pretty high approval, right? Born of women, no one greater than John. But he that is born in the kingdom is greater than John. Oh, what that means is if we're kingdom citizens, we're greater than John. And yet he said, born of women, there's no one greater than John. <clears throat> Can you say that about somebody? I think with the idea of approval, he said on the cross, <coughs> Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And some 40 days later, that sermon was preached at Pentecost. And I don't know how many of those 3,000 that came forward that day were guilty of participating in the crucifixion of Christ, but there had to be some that were there. And those that he prayed to be forgiven that day found forgiveness when Peter preached that sermon and they responded to it like they did, asking, what must I do to be saved? He looked past that and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Have we ever been hurt by somebody? And maybe said, maybe they don't know what they're doing. 
I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll forgive them. I think about the idea of approval. I think of the idea of a home. Shouldn't that be where it starts and where it magnifies itself the most, the home? I think of a husband and a wife. And the husband thanking the wife for all that she does for him and for the children and for the home. I think of the wife thanking the husband for all of his care, his provisions, his protection, his attention. Is that something that husbands and wives can exchange one with the other? Can there be exchange of approval because of that? I think of children. When Cody Glenn was born, Dad talked to me and he said, don't make the mistake I made with you four. I never told you how proud I was of you. And I made the mistake. We didn't camera home. I never told him how proud I was of them. And just a couple of years ago, just a couple of years ago, visiting mom and dad, he said, I was too busy noticing all the wrong you were doing to praise you for the good you were doing. That's powerful stuff. When a parent tells a child, I'm proud of you for what you're doing. I'm proud of you for who you are. And I tell you now, every time I see Cody and Cody and Cam and Chris, and I see any of the grandkids, parenthetical thought, there's five generations here this morning, parenthesis closed, I tell them every time, I close an email, I close the call and saying, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so thankful for you. Because I was too busy being a dad. Knows how really good they were. And they really, really were really good. And they both have really good kids. And doing a really good job. What about the local church? Can elders do that? Can elders stand before a congregation of people and praise the people? I will share with you a frustration. It's real. It's real. The shepherds here love this flock. But somehow... Reviewed as when the elders talk to you, you have to be called to the principal's room. If we come to you to talk to you, it's like, oh, what did I do that was wrong? Maybe we just simply want to thank you and praise you. All that takes place publicly. Publicly. And I appreciate the prayers that were led this morning about that. Was that something young people can do with the shepherds, is that something the shepherd can do with the young people? Is there something we can share together? Is that something old and young alike can do? That we, shep- be shep- we shepherds can be so attuned to the flock that we 
We see a young person struggling and we, we go and we put our arms around them and say, how can I help you? We see an older per- person struggling, but they're here and say, can I help you? What can I do to encourage you? Can, can we do that? And can, can the old do that with the young and the young? We've got some young shepherds. I mean, Matt and Gerald need the help. Martin, he's got one little banana peel, another, you know. He joined the old crowd. So, you know, he, he needs the help. He needs some encouragement. Is that something we could do together? What would it do if in the home, in a local church, we were more filled with approval and appreciation like that than we were counting the freckles on a person's face and telling them how many they had? And then finally, the fifth thing that's so essential is the idea of attention. Now, if you observe this, you have been very astute. I applaud you. I praise you. These all bleed together. They're not separate. They all are interwoven. They all feed together. They all feed together. When I think about attention, I think of the 139th Psalm. I think of how he says, I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. I know your thoughts. I don't think about attention. I think about how he says, I know the number of hair on your head. I know your basic, I know you, I know your basic needs. Let me give you attention. Can we spend time with people? Can we spend time with someone specific? Could we listen? Could we just stop to listen? That's hard for some of us because we're too busy talking. Guilty. But could we give someone attention just by simply when they speak to us, listen? Or here's someone specific I want to talk to today. I want to give them my attention today. I want to let them know I appreciate them. I approve of them. I have affection for them. I want to let them know I accept them. I want to give them my attention today. Is that something that old people can do for the young people? Is that something that young people can do for the old people? If that's something the old people can do for the young people, the young people can do for the old people, then guess what? We can all have attention toward one another and nobody, nobody, nobody feels left out. You know, Paul will talk about 1 Corinthians 12, that, that weaker part of the body. If we're all paying attention to each other and there's no weaker part, nobody feels left out. Nobody feels like they're in a corner, stuck away. Nobody pays attention to me. But you know what that's going to take? That's going to take deliberate effort on my part and deliberate effort on your part. All five of these do. These don't just roll off your back like water off a duck's back. They are intentional. But there are five very simple needs that God has supplied for us that young or old, we can supply for each other. And when we do that, then the fundamental needs that we have as people in a fellowship of God's people together will be supplied and harmony will be there and no one will feel left out, no one will feel hurt, no one will feel neglected. I had this quote from Douglas MacArthur, maybe one of the greatest generals we ever have, maybe not the greatest, but one of the greatest. 
This is what he said. On the 75th birthday, he wrote this. In the central place of every heart, there is a recording chamber. Songs that receive messages of beauty, hope, cheering courage. When the wires are all down, when the wires are all down and your heart is covered with snows of pessimism and the ice of cynicism, then and then only have you grown old. In the central place of every heart, there's a recording chamber. So long as it receives messages of beauty, hope, cheering courage. When the wires were all down and your heart is covered with snows of pessimism and the eyes of cynicism, then and then only do you have you grown old. You know, we don't have to be old chronologically to be old. Because younger old light can be cynical. Younger old old light can let the snows of pessimism cloud everything they say and everything they do. We need younger people. We need older people. But sometimes the older people look at the younger people and say, what's wrong with them? And the younger people look at the older people and say, what's wrong with them? The older people and younger look at the younger people and say, we've always done it this way. The younger people look and say, can we think about something different? Older people nurture younger people. And younger people enthuse, enthuse older people. You see, everyone has a place. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a purpose. Now here's the closing question. Will I do what I can to help provide these five fundamental needs for you? And will each of us do all we can to provide these five fundamental needs for one another? And if we do, Older people and younger people can get along. And God will be glorified. And God will be honored. It all begins because Christ died on the cross for us. That's where this whole thing began. God looked at us and noticed us and said, You're broken. I need a remedy. I'll send my son. He'll be your savior. He'll redeem you. But I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you, will you believe him to be the son of God, the Christ? And I want to, will you have a change of mind toward me and toward sin? And I want to know, will you be willing to say before all, I pledge my allegiance to Christ? And will you have your sins washed away, demonstrating your faith, in obedience to Him, because you just want to be, we just want to be with God. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. 
questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.